This is Hope After Hurt, a Yes podcast. We talk about church hurt, stories of disappointment, and the future of community. With the goal of healing from past pains, inspiring hope for the future, and building a better leader for generations to come. Join this community created for healing, hope, and heroes. Now your host, a pastor's kid who has served everywhere from startups to some of the largest churches in the world, Drew Barker. Let's go. It's the Yes Podcast where we're saying yes to what God has next. Special thanks to everyone who is sharing this podcast and sharing all of our social media platforms. And if you haven't yet, I want to encourage you to invite someone in on this journey with you as we discover hope after hurt. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing church hurt, sharing stories of disappointment, and talking about the future of community. And all of this comes with a goal of healing from past pains, inspiring hope for the future, and building better leaders for generations to come. Last episode, we got to interview a friend of mine, Mary Ann Sibley. We got such a great response from you on the insights that she showed with care and accountability when it comes to our leaders. And so today I want to share with you, and I'm really excited to share this with you, part two of that interview. Here we go. So flying a wall, who was listening to a great conversation unfold, it was interesting. You said, what if this crazy thing is we just take care of people and then other people will follow that model? And I think the main enemy is actually what we were talking, what you guys were talking about before it, which is comparison. Sure. That's the vehicle or the engine that powers us um, to be so busy that we can't do those things. It's more about trying to grow the team to the right amount of people so we can support the ministry. And my first job out of college, I was a youth pastor. And so I'm part of that, like 50% of the American population that youths to be a youth pastor. Sure. <laughs> uh, so I'm in that category at a smaller church uh, outside of Chicago. And the, uh, I'd say three or four weeks in, this pastor hired me right out of Bible college, no experience. And I think wanted to mentor me and wanted to help me. And so I find myself in his office and I, I didn't come to something because it was one of those churches where we had 4,000 things a week. Like we had a thing on this day and this day. And I didn't come to one of them. And he was like, hey, I expected to see you there. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to set a bad precedent for my marriage. Like I wanted to hang out with my wife. No way. And he said, I don't know how you're going to make it in ministry with an attitude like that. Because oh, this is like an 85 hour a week job. And it was a tough conversation like four weeks in. And I remember just like rallying all my courage to be like, okay, I guess if we're having this conversation, like no offense, I I don't really want to model myself after you. First of all, proud of you for having that (laughs) conversation. That's a hard conversation. And what I I wasn't trying to be mean or hurtful and I was young and stupid. And so maybe there was some of that, that comparison, let's do more mentality is the main reason why the simple answer, like, oh, no, duh. Like we should all do that. Doesn't get to happen in practicality. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I can totally empathize with where you're at. I I had a church one time I was serving at. We had two services on Saturday, two on Sunday, one on Wednesday. Okay, so larger church, tons of services. My wife has a job. So you guys didn't do much? Yeah, we didn't do much. (laughs) Not much going on. So here would be, let me give you an example of, I'll go, for the sake of argument, I'm going to go like super on the other side of busy. Okay, like so I'll give you a tame week and I'll give you a, a super busy week. The, the tame week was two services Saturday, two on Sunday, nothing on Monday or Tuesday night, service Wednesday night, nothing on Thursday night. You're off Friday, but your wife works, so you're on kid duty Friday, and you don't have a day with your family, and then boom, Saturday, you're back to it. That was a tame week. 
There were some weeks where we had a leader meeting on Monday night where we had all of our normal services, two Saturday, two Sunday, one Wednesday. And then on Thursday night, we had, hey, you can have dinner with the pastor. And who do you think supported that? All of the staff. So there were times I was looking at my wife going, hey, Sunday, I need you to get the kids up. I need you to bring them to church. Also, I'm going to come home incredibly exhausted. Monday night, put them to bed. Wednesday night, put them to bed. Thursday night, put them to bed. Friday, I'm going to be exhausted and you're going to be exhausted. And then Saturday, I'm back to work. There, it was relentless. And at the same time, I'm having conversations with my leader. Hey, this is really tough on my family. Hey, we don't have a day as a family. Hey, me and my wife don't get to spend any time together. And the attitude and the response is, well, is it the amount of time that you're spending or how you value your time? Is it what you do with your time? It's both, sir. <laughs> it's a leadership equivalent of rub some dirt on it. Right. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's unbelievable. So obviously I don't work there anymore. And that decision actually came more from my wife and I having a similar conversation. What kind of family do we want to have? Does this job support the kind of family we want to have? And the overwhelming answer was no. There's no way it's sustainable. And yeah, it sounds simple. And when we say it, it's simple. We just care. We love and all that. And look, to the listeners out there, I understand that it's more complicated. I get that you don't just say it and speak it into motion and it happens. There's a lot of effort to put in to gain trust, to love people, to be in their life, to lead them, to care for them. I, I get all of that. But as leaders, our first priority is not growth. That is not our priority. That's not what we're running after. Now, now reaching people, sure. Sending the gospel out, absolutely. But don't miss the item that's right in front of your face. Don't miss your team. Don't miss your staff. Don't miss the congregation you already have because you're so concerned about getting the people you don't. Because here's what I'll tell you. From my experience, if you can get the trust right with your team, if you can get the family vibe and the culture right with your team, growth will be a byproduct of that. And so I just, we're sitting here, we all have the same stories. Those 50% of people that have been in youth ministry, they have stories like that. Anybody that's worked at a church has a story like that where it was just building up. It was just too much. We just kept running after people. We just kept having more events. We just thought this would bring growth. And we miss the very thing that's right in front of our face. It's the same way that when I'm at dinner with my wife, if my phone rings and it's work, do I answer it? Am I, what's my priority at that moment? Am I missing what's right in front of me so that I can run after the possibility of growth? No, take care of the important things first. Take care of yourself, take care of your family, take care of your team, be in a healthy relationship with Christ and growth will be a byproduct of that. I think the what I've heard and observed is, yes, there would be people who would nod and say, yeah, that sounds great. And I agree. However, they have forgotten what that even looks like. They Absolutely. have forgotten, and excuse me, there, we did this um, thing and this organization does this thing called Vision Day and they sit with the church staff and they have them walk through the basics. Why are we here? Sure. Literally. And you would be surprised. You won't be surprised. They don't know. I don't know that much surprises me I know. anymore. They don't know. These kinds of meetings. They honestly don't know. 
They'll say go to have church on Sundays. That's the answer. There you go. That's the, I, so if I was, I'm not going to interrupt you. I'm going to let you get back to it. But if I was to put my, if I was to put any amount of money, like if I, if somebody came over and was like, you have to bet your house on what the answer is. 100% it's Sundays, which, wow. Like. And what does that even mean? And what does that even look like? And so I think it's just been a long, too long season. And a friend of mine says COVID for a lot of churches isn't the problem. It revealed the problem. There it you revealed go. and talk about volunteers and people are like, we've lost all the volunteers. I said, they got, they had an escape hatch and they took it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they were too afraid or trapped or whatever you want to call it. And now they saw a way out and they're like, I'm, and I was one of those at a church I was serving. I was like, I am not coming back to that crazy. I'm not coming back to that irresponsible way of not caring for people. Yeah. Not caring. So let's talk about that for a second, because I think we can get wrapped up into this is what's wrong and this is what's going on. So what does the solution look like? And, and here's what I'm finding. What happened in COVID is we had a care system built around the availability of volunteers. So our care system was I'm going to send you a planning center email. And I'm going to ask if you're available, will you accept or decline? And how I knew the only way that I knew that something was going on with you and your family and your wife and your life or anything like that was because you declined and wrote a little sentence like, I'm going to be out of town. Mm -hmm. And that required me to then reach out and I would arguably say pretend to care because I clearly didn't care until you weren't available. So that was our care system. Then COVID blows Sunday off the face of the earth. And we, and I said this in episode one, we had the audacity as a church to go, they weren't bought in. They just weren't really on the team. They, they weren't a great leader. They weren't a great volunteer. No, you suck. That's what it was. We sucked at caring. And it's hard pill to swallow. I put myself in it, but we were not good. And we based everything around Sunday. So what if we, ex- what, what happened was we got exposed. So now what have we learned from that and how can we right. adjust? You brought up earlier, how, how many people can you effectively care for? You said at one point you had a volunteer group of 200. You, you, you can't do that. What uh, Brown University did a study several years ago that found out that you can care for seven to 10 people effectively, mm-hmm. seven to 10. The problem is if we're not careful, we'll start counting with volunteers and forget our family and our friends and ourselves. And suddenly, by the time I get to volunteers, I'm already at 9, 10, 11, 12. And then you look at your planning center and you're like, oh, I have 75 people in this. And so there's no way to make that happen. So you've got to set up a care structure. And that can look like a lot of different things. But there has to be a system of care in your ministry. So what that means is you have to have leaders that are caring for seven to 10 people. What do I, when I say a leader, well, I mean somebody that, what did you say? Approachable and coachable. So I need to find, if I have a hundred, let's just do a round number. If I have a hundred volunteers, I need to find 10 uh-huh. leaders. They need to care for yeah. 10 people. Each. So here's the other component to that, that takes, doesn't take care of necessarily, but it also challenges and helps keep the guardrails in place is because we were growing and I just believe that doing anything in isolation as we learned of COVID, isolation kills, Mm -hmm. literally kills, 
emotionally kills, depression, it kills. I then said, you know what? Every team has to have two leaders. And when I first brought that up, I knew I was going to get pushed back. So I put my banking hat on. We have to find more people? <laughs> back in the day when I would have to go to Wachovia and they would want to fight me because they're like, I say, oh, I, I did my homework. So I knew what the pushback was going to be. And I started it at the very top level. And so I'm like, hey, we're going to need to have at least two key leaders, directors were on every team. And the pushback was, and who's really the leader? And I thought, oh, that is exactly what I knew you would say. Thank you. And you've got to be kidding me. But I said, who cares? Who cares? We are. This is a church. This is a ministry. And if you're here because of the title, then you're in the wrong mm -hmm. place. Okay, so let me stop you right there because I have a question about that. Do you find, and again, this is one of those, maybe it's possible. Do you find that church leaders and church staff don't pull back and don't empower and don't inspire and don't give ownership away? Because, because then they'll have no value and they're finding their value in their job. Is that possible? 100% possible. 100% possible. It's also because of poor leadership above them, the expectation that they're supposed to do it all. So now you have, this is why the leadership from the top really matters. You have leadership at the top going, it's your job. You're supposed to do this and five other things. You've got to run all the volunteers and small groups and make sure we connect with every new person that walks through the door. How You're just running tasks. So you're sure. now being taught in this environment that you're just supposed to do all the things. And I can't tell you the number of leaders I talk to and they're like, I'm just on the verge of burnout. And so I start saying, tell me what your typical day looks like. Tell me what you're responsible for. And they tell me they have leaders. I said, you don't have a leader. You're doing everything. You won't, if, if I was there and you said you called me a leader, I'd be like, I'm out. You want me to do right. things. And so you're not willing to let go for a variety of reasons, right? Insecurity, wrong placement of where you're getting your worth and your value. But here's the thing. Sure. No one has been taught this. It's like, well, sure, absolutely. I mean, go. I storm the gates of hell. Isn't this what this looks like? Right, exactly. What it looks like. I'm glad you said looks because that's pretty much what it's turned into. As long as we look like we're the church, then right. we're in good shape. And then that leads to disaster. One of the things I'm finding with leaders is, like you said, they get really wrapped around the task management, which is more of a manager side of things and not so much a leader, but that's a different discussion for another day. The commonality that I'm finding in those managers is, they focus so much on the task and they don't take time to inspire. Mm -hmm. and, and that's such a, that's such a big problem because you can get through any what if your why is strong yeah. enough. And so as a leader, you've got to be constantly speaking vision and constantly inspiring and constantly going back to the why. That's what prevents a lot of times burnout, even when there is a lot of things to do and there's many tasks going on. Yes. But like you said, there is no teaching mechanism for that because if you go to school to learn about the bible and get a master's of divinity you take management classes you don't take right. leadership classes you take 
business classes. You don't take leadership classes. And then you learn about the Bible and you're really pretty much built to have 70 to 150 person churches. And there's nothing wrong with, but there has to be a correlation in the amount of unhealthy leadership we've seen at these larger churches. When you get above that 150 mark, because quite honestly, if you're not like putting the right people around you and really trying to learn and really giving away responsibility, it's a and, and it starts small and then it gets a lot of churches. They've started as home groups or they've started really small and then God does what he does. And you could see the inklings of some poor leadership, healthy leadership in those early days. And it can get dismissed because things are exciting and the church is growing, but unchecked with growth, it just gets more, it just gets worse. Anything unhealthy mold when it grows to an unhealthy is toxic. So that whole thing, dip it in the bud. But so a lot of the leaders do come out not understanding what it really means and what it looks like or the pressures. But I think we throw around that term leadership way too loosely. Not because we don't want to hurt people's feelings or we want to just get something off our plate. So we'll say you're a leader and then we can move on. And now we are sending the wrong message of, oh, is that what a leader is supposed to do around here? Oh, I guess I need to do more. And I would challenge people, leaders to say, if you walk around and people say to you all the time, wow, you're so busy. You're just in charge of everything. And Wow, look at you. And you use that as a pat on the back and a badge of honor. You're in trouble. That should be a red flag that you're doing something wrong. But that's not what happens. A lot of people, they looked at me and went, oh, I liked it. Yeah. It's nice to be needed. I mean, yeah, it's nice for a lot of things until we take it to an extreme. Like, I love, I'll eat chocolate cake all day if you let me. That would really be a bad idea. So let me close, let me close with this to the listeners out there. If you had one piece of advice, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but if you had one piece of advice that if every leader listening took, you think it would make them better, what would you share with them? That's a loaded question too. One thing, and I just have to go through my own personal journey of being really unhealthy To the point where I had to, I think this was before you, Drew, so you missed all the fun, but I actually came to a staff meeting and apologized to everybody. It was awesome. For sure. Not. Yeah. Because everyone was collateral damage. And I started recognizing that the common denominator of every hard situation was me. And so it's first just saying, just being honest enough to look around to say, if I really truly say, Lord, everything is hard. Lord, everything, everyone, it's them, it's them. If you honestly do that and allow God to speak to you and said, maybe it's you, maybe it's you, you have to seek wise counsel. Get counseling. You can't begin a healthy plan, a healthy idea a healthy team, a healthy, unless you're healthy first. So I think I would say just be brave enough to really do the work with yourself and with God and with someone who really will be like a Drew to me and a me to you, Drew, that would look at each other and go, I love you so much. I 
please thank you for letting me speak into this. And then trusting God that through that process, you'll be healthier and then healthy things come from that. I don't know what that would look like, but that would be the best place to start. I love that. I love that. And I really appreciate you being on the podcast. It's great to see you. It's great to hear from you. And as always, just thanks for being so encouraging and thanks for being my friend. I love you too. I love you. Did you know that Drew's family can help you with shipping, printing, packing, shredding, branding, and every ing imaginable? That's right. They own three of the UPS stores in North Carolina. If you're near the city of Cary or the Clayton, North Carolina area, please make sure you stop into your local, the UPS store and say yes to local family-owned business. Hey, welcome back. Just a reminder, our social media is set up for vulnerability, authenticity, and community. And really our goal is that you would feel comfortable sharing your story or maybe even what you're struggling with in this season. We want to come around you. We want to support you. We want to lift your arms up and pray for you any way we can. So be sure to use those social media sites for community. What a great interview that was with Marianne. And, and I want to shift things a little bit here. She touched on this from time to time when coming back to care and community and being coachable and accountability with our leadership. One of the things that is consistent through all of that is tension. And as a leader, you have to go ahead and understand anything you do, whether it's new, like a new idea, whether it's a vision, um, whether it's a small change, there's going to be tension in that. And we always want to communicate those things. We always want to make sure people understand why we're, why we're changing things, why we're running after something. And we know that, but no matter what, even if you feel like you've checked all the boxes, done it the right way, there's always going to be tension in that. And so what I'd like to do is just take a moment. You know, I've been talking about leaders that I've, that I've had experience with. I want to take a moment today and just share some moments where I haven't maybe been at my best in some conversations and just some things that I've learned as I've matured and as I've grown up in ministry. And, and then maybe we can all get better from that. So one of the things in being a worship pastor is you tend to be the, you tend to be the center of attention when it comes to tension. And what I mean by that is everyone has an opinion on music. That's like the one thing everyone has an opinion on. It, some people will like preaching styles. Other people will like certain preaching styles. And, and I get all that. But music, everybody has a radio. Everybody has a preset station. Everybody has a certain Spotify list that they go to over and over. And so with music, it really gets complicated and the tension can get real. And I remember having so many conversations about the music's too loud. The music's too soft. The lights are too dark. The lights are too bright. I remember having conversations around song selection. I remember having conversations around the tempo of songs. And that's not really the point. The point is all the conversations that happen after the service, behind the scenes, and the emails you get, and the one-offs. And so here's some examples of that. I remember when I was 29, which I'll let you figure out how long ago that might have been. But I remember when I was 29, I had a gentleman come up to me after the service. 
And I'll tell the story from the standpoint of what I remember happening. And then I'm going to go back and just give some context to now what I see. Joe, this guy comes up to me. He's an older gentleman. Okay. So he comes up and says, Hey, I, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, sure. Yeah. Now setting the picture again, older gentleman, he's probably in his sixties. I'm 29. And my attitude at 29 was like, come on, man, I know this stuff better than you. So that was already like my, that was already my default mode. Not good. Not good. But we continue in the conversation and, and he was asking, why are we not doing hymns? And I immediately met that with proof that we do hymns. Also not the best approach, but we'll get into that. <laughs> we don't do hymns. Yes, we anything else. <laughs> so he's like, why don't we do any hymns? And I'm like, oh, two weeks ago we did Blessed Assurance and I wrote a song, It Is Well, based off of him. And I wrote another song based off of him. And, and we did a hymn seven weeks ago. Do you want me to pull up Planning Center? I can show you. And I immediately started meeting this guy's, well, pain with... I don't know, proof. And that wasn't what he needed. And so he's then, we should be doing them every Sunday. You'll agree. I know that approach always works with my wife. No, I'm she sure. says that I've hurt her feelings or I've done something stupid. And my argument is, no, I didn't. Sure. Yeah, let's just prove it. <laughs> that's, good. that's good in relationship. It's, it's a great, great way to start the conversation for sure. Great way to go. So I tell this guy we do hymns and... He basically comes back and says, we should be doing them every Sunday. And I, look, it's been a while since I had the conversation. I'm not going to word for word this thing. But he basically says that we should be doing them every Sunday and that I'm sure that you would agree that hymns are the most biblically based lyrics that we could possibly be singing as opposed to what we're currently doing. And I remember I, I agreed with him in a sense, like I was nodding and smiling. And honestly, my stomach's rolling. I'm ready to get to lunch. I got my life group waiting on me. My wife's over on the side holding my, like holding a kid. I'm like, okay, here we go. And essentially he said, you've got a stiff neck. And I didn't really understand what that meant, but I knew it wasn't good. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry that you feel that way. And which is not an apology. And, and so he, he comes back and basically just says, maybe we need to be looking at other churches. And I... Mr. 29-year-old, in that moment, doing just wanting to be done with the conversation, looked right back at him and said, hey, I think there's a lot of great churches around here. And if, if you don't feel like this is meeting your needs, I totally understand. But we're not changing what we're doing. That was my 29-year-old self. It was a terrible conversation. Now, is there truth to what I said? Absolutely. Were we going to change? No. But is that really, was that really empathetic? And caring and trying to understand what his hurt is really coming back to. No, I just wanted to get to lunch. We were done with our two services. I was ready to get out of there. And I had this, in my opinion at the time, old guy coming to me, giving me the same old thing about hymns. It was a terrible moment for me. And I think about that. I go back to that conversation and I, I know some of you listening out there, you've been exactly in that spot. And you're maybe even listening to this going, I'll probably be in that spot this weekend. And here's what I want to help you understand. And what I should have known then. 
The complaint about the hymns wasn't the issue. The issue was this man had been at a church that he fell in love with. And it was changing. And I seemed to be the guy doing all the changing. Now, of course, I wasn't by myself. Pastor was involved. Staff was involved. We had a vision we were running after. But I'm up front. I'm on stage. And music's important to him. And I'm changing all of it. And so looking back, I wouldn't want somebody to meet me with proof. I wouldn't want somebody to meet me with what probably came across as arrogance. I certainly wouldn't want someone to tell me we're not changing. We're not going to do anything different. And I wouldn't want anyone to tell me that, hey, if this church isn't working for you, what? This is my church. I was here before you. And now you're going to tell me? That's a terrible idea. So what I want to encourage you with is looking back and, and just how I think we can learn from that. Understand that you're on the same team. You brought up having a conversation with your wife. Mm -hmm. Like in those environments and in those situations, you're on the same team. You're wearing the same jersey. So if you're in pain and you're hurt, then I need to figure out how I can be in that with you. Not prove I'm right. Not prove you're wrong. Not draw a line in the sand and say, yeah, hey, we're in a battle and I'm a staff member and you're not. But we need to get on the other side of the table and say, okay, let's ask questions. What's the real hurt here? Is it about the hymns? Is it about everything changing? Could we be empathetic and maybe go, man, I totally understand what you're saying. It's so difficult when things are changing. Could we have a real conversation? And me, knowing how tired, exhausted, and ready for lunch I was, and knowing how heated he was, would it not have been smart to just go, hey, I think this is a really valuable conversation. I think we need to sit down and, and hash this out because I'd really like to hear your story and where you're coming from, and I'd like for you to hear mine. You got time this week to get together? I did none of that. Yeah, it's always easy in hindsight to be like, oh, this is exactly what I should have done. <laughs> I got stories like that too, just stupid stuff that I did. And they all, like you said, they revolve around tension, but they also just revolve around not, I think ultimately just not really caring what the other person is trying to say. That's really And good. just trying to end the conversation. Yeah, why do we do that? I don't know. <laughs> is it? It's a real jerk move. It really is. And we're so guilty of it as leaders because our mind is always going. We're always thinking about the next thing. We're always thinking about all these things we have to get done. I think part of it, the reason could be, is that we've had this conversation so many times oh, yeah. and we feel like we've lost. And so when it comes up again from a new perspective, it's let me dump all my baggage about this conversation <laughs> on you right now because that's what you wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's there's truth in that for sure. I, like, if you want to see what I'm saying, go up to any sound guy at the back of the church right. and ask him to turn it up or down. Oh, my Lord. They're not going to be greeted with a smile. Those poor people. <laughs> Pathetic. Those oh. poor sound engineers. Tell me, what you, tell me what you mean. But I liked your point, and I think I wish that there was an alarm that would go off when I find myself in situations like this, where it's stop talking, ask questions, get curious, and try to actually understand what the other person is saying. Sure. As opposed to prove your point. Sure. And I think what's challenging as leaders is 
We know that. If you took the time to to ask me even then what I should do in that scenario, that wouldn't have been my answer. Mm-hmm. But the action is different than the habit. It's one thing to be like, yeah, yeah, this would be my action in that scenario. We have to figure out a way to create a habit around it. And so for me, I'm such a forward thinker. My strength finders are like futuristic, strategic planning, vision, belief, achiever. So everything is centered around, let's go forward, let's go far. And that's really great when you're casting vision, but that's not good when you're just having a side-off conversation. And so what I've had to do is create a habit of thinking. And when someone pulls me aside, no matter what I have going on, I have two options and I'm going to lead with one or the other. The first option is if I'm really in a pinch and, hey, it's time for me to go do my sermon right now, then I'm going, hey, I really can't have this conversation right now. I'm going to get up with you at the end of church. That's number one. If I don't do that, then I'm shutting everything else out and I'm telling myself, you have to, and I use that language, you have to be in this moment. You have to. It doesn't matter how long the conversation is. It doesn't matter how, you know, how many times you've had the conversation or how dumb you think it is. I think you can imagine, put yourself in this gentleman's shoes. He might have been struggling with this for two months and finally got up the courage to come talk to you about it. Probably his wife had been like, you need to stop talking to me about this and talk to somebody. Probably prayed about it. Yeah, probably prayed about it. Unbelievable. Probably like talked to multiple friends about what's the right way to bring this up, landed on a plan and came to you without any of that foresight. You're like, what's happening right now? Yeah. And then I, and then I just crush him and then I just crush him. It's terrible. And looking back, I've tried to get so much better at those moments and so much better at managing those one-off tension filled conversations. So one of the things that I hope we can learn from that like I said, is really remembering whose team we're on. It doesn't matter if you're at a church or you're in a corporation or you're in a household. If you and someone who's on your team is having an argument, conflict, conversation about anything, your job is to remember that you're on their team and you're trying to approach this together and solve this tension together. And I do my best. I still fall short. But I do my best now to try and remember that I am for people and I need them to be for me. And we need to get together collectively be for Christ. Yeah, I think for some people, a big part of tension filled conversations, one, they want to be heard. And two, nobody's explained to them why the change is happening. Mm hmm. And wait, are you saying that churches are bad at communication? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oftentimes, we'll just change stuff, and we won't really explain why. And in the background, there's probably been months of talks and meetings about why we should do this thing and why it's important for where we're heading in the future and and what we hope to accomplish by changing these things and who we hope to attract, and all those good conversations likely happen. But then nobody has the conversation with the people who are experiencing the change And they don't get the opportunity. So, like, I've seen it happen in a good way where somebody will communicate, hey, here's why we're changing the way we're doing worship, for example. Yeah. We're trying to attract a younger generation, and they're not as mature as the older generation. 
and they probably just will stop coming if we don't make some changes. Sure. And you guys are our mature, older base, and this is probably not your preference. I've heard pastors say it's heck. It's not even my preference. Sure. But this is why we're doing it. And then you give people the opportunity to realize, oh, I get it. We're all on the same team. Yep. And so I'm putting somebody else's needs in front of my own. Yep. And uh, I understand why we're doing this now in best case scenario. Worst case scenario is like, thanks for explaining that, but I still want to sing him. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And you really never know which way it's going to go. That's for sure. So we can learn a lesson through that. And then the other thing that I want to address before we close out this episode is something that I really want to encourage you to take with you because this is something that I have been using now for four years mm -hmm. and I have no complaints. I have not one situation that I can bring to you and say, this went bad. And, and so let me tell you what that is. When on the other side of the conversation, whether you're a staff member or whether you're off of staff, when you're trying to bring up a conversation, a conflict, a tension, let me encourage you to do it with this approach. It's called FBC. And if you're driving in a car right now, don't write that down. But if you're listening to this anywhere else, you need to write this down. Because I'm telling you, I have lived with this for four years and it almost feels, honestly, it almost feels like a cheat code to difficult conversations. And I stole it, kind of, from Simon Sinek. I love Simon Sinek so much, big fan of his. He goes by FBI, which is Feelings Behavior Impact. But I feel impact is more of a corporate approach. So I changed it to FBC, which is Feelings Behavior Concern because I think concern speaks to care. And this is what that looks like. When you're having a difficult conversation with someone, when you need to bring up the fact that we're not doing hymns anymore, when you need to bring up the fact that you don't like what, some, what someone said in a meeting, when you feel like things just aren't going the way you need them to go and you need to express your opinions, please use this. FBC, feelings, behavior, concern. You can put them in any order you want but here's what that would sound like. And so what I would hope that guy would have come to me and said is, hey, Drew, listen, I feel like I'm being pushed out. I don't really feel valued. And the, and the reason is because I just, I keep noticing that things are changing. We're not doing as many hymns. This is the behavior part. We're not doing as many hymns. The lights are different. It's a little louder. And my concern would be that me and others my age would stop attending this church because we don't really understand what the purpose is. And then you stop talking. FBC, you can use it in any order you want. But then after you use it, you stop talking. And I'm telling you right now, the other person will speak. And nine times out of ten, they're going to start with, I'm so sorry. Every difficult conversation I have, and I even have difficult conversations with people that know I use this technique, I don't care. I don't care. It is a solid technique. It shows that I thought about it. It shows that I've processed it. And I'm just encouraging you, use it in your relationships. Use it in your staff. Use it with customer service. You, use it anywhere. But I'm telling you, 
if you really want to express a concern, what this will do is, number one, it will slow you down. It will help you think through what you want to say. Number two, it's really difficult to come across angry. It's really challenging yeah. when you're trying to remember, how am I going to word this? It's really difficult to yell FBC. It's really difficult. And the third thing is, it's going to lead to the other person talking. And that's really what you want to get to. So I, I would use this with my staff. I remember I had a staff member show up late to a staff meeting. And this was like the second time in a row that they had shown up late. And I pulled them to the side after we were done. And I said, hey, listen, when you walk in late, and, and the big problem with me of him being late was more of not coming in and just saying, I'm so sorry and telling everyone, like he came in like loud, started unpacking stuff. It was almost like nonchalant, didn't care. So I pulled him to the side after it was over and said, hey man, li listen, when you show up late with no notice and I don't know where you are and then you walk in and, and don't apologize, don't say anything. So I'm already speaking to the behavior first on this one. It makes me feel undervalued. It makes me feel like staff meetings are not a priority. And my concern would be that other staff members in the room would start following your lead. My concern would be that other staff members in the room, if they don't follow your lead, would think you're not bought in. And then I stop talking. So I want to encourage you. FBC, use it. And here's another thing. If you use it, would you post on social media and tell me you did? Would you go to the Yes Community page? Would you send me a message? Some of you that know me, would you even text me? I'd love to know your stories of you trying this out because I'm telling you, like I've said before, the goal of this podcast is not just to share great content, not just to share stories of, in this case, me not doing a great job of being a leader and really caring for someone, but we want to get better. I want you to get better. I want to get better. I want Joe to get better. I want us all to get better because the next generation deserves a better leader. Hey, thank you again so much for listening to today's episode. I look forward to reading all of your stories and connecting more with you on our Facebook group as we continue to build a community around healing, hope, and heroes. In our next episode, we're going to have another special guest to talk through what happens when you don't fit the culture. In the meantime, keep saying yes to what God has next. Thanks for listening to Hope After Hurt. If you enjoyed this episode or found it useful, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend. Join the Yes Community on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Yes Community. On Instagram at yesco underscore community. TikTok at Drew's Barker. And for show notes, visit the website at yes.transistor.fm. This show is produced, edited, and engineered by Podcast Carrier. Thanks for listening.